and that are that we want to be a planting, sending, equipping, and multiplying church. That's what we believe God has called us to be. And today's a special day for us as a church, not because of something that's happening here, but something that's happening over at Anala, where Warren McKenzie is becoming the pastor of Westside Multicultural Baptist Church this morning. What a, what a blessing it is for us as a church that Warren is now the third pastor that's gone out of this church over the last four years to serve in another church. Um, what a blessing that is. And so we're going to pray for him. We're also going to pray for Arabella Foster and the Foster family. Arabella is a little girl who has just turned one and she was born with some uh, serious heart and lung issues uh, and uh, she has a major operation this Thursday. And so we're going to pray for her. Uh, I know Sharon Stedman is looking to set up a meals roster for the next couple of weeks for the, uh, the Fosters. If you would like to be a part of that and you're not on the church Facebook, if you're not on the Facebook page, we've got a community page. If you're on Facebook, look up Forestlake Baptist Church dash community and join that. Those sort of things go, go on a lot up there. But if you're not on that and you would like to be a part of that meals roster, use one of the response cards. Um, again, can we get that back up again, Vic? That's the best way to just um, let people know that you're interested in doing stuff. Uh, but we'd love to add you to that. So we're going to pray for them as a family because they've got a big week this week. Sorry. What? Okay, well, you won't forget it, will you? See, that was... In- See, that's intentional. You had a little mistake in. That way people see it. For those who haven't worked out, we used to have a slide that says response card. And then Johnny made me a new one and I've still managed to use the old one. It's hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys, isn't it, mate, eh? It's only so far you can help me. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for what's happening today over in Anala. What a great blessing that is for us as a church to be to have been a part of Warren's journey from the time he, when he first came here and was looking at going to Bible college, to, to see him leading our evening service here, but now also to be leading Westside Multicultural Baptist Church. And so we pray for him and we pray for that church today as they induct their new pastor and his family, that your blessing would be upon them. And we know, Father, that unless the Lord builds the house, the labourers labour in vain. So we pray that you would build the house of the Lord in Anala and in Forest Lake and all over this country. We thank you that we see evidence all around us of your hand at work, your your blessing, you drawing people to yourself. And so, Father, today we especially want to thank you for Warren and the part we've been able to play in that journey. We thank you for the opportunity for us as a church to gather around one another, and especially those who are doing it tough. We pray for the Foster family this week as they prepare for Arabella's um, major operation. Lord, we know the doctors are well trained and we're grateful for for the health services in this country, but you are the great healer. And you know Arabella's little body better than any doctor does. And so we pray that your hand of healing will be upon her. We pray that you would give her parents and all her family, quiet rest, that they need not stress. And Father, we pray for all those today who are doing it tough, whether through uh, sadness or grief or illness or distress of some kind. Father, we pray that we would do more than just pray. 
We remember the words of James that says we need to do more than just say it. We need to go. Help us to be people who go. Who are interruptible and are able to go when we see a need to go and help. And Father, we pray today, once again, for those who, for whom Father's Day is a difficult day. That you would be their peace and their strength today. And we pray for us now, Lord, as we open this word today from Ephesians, that you would bless it to our hearing. And more than just helping us hear, Lord, give us hearts to, to obey what you tell us. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's something wrong in our society today with fatherhood. And I don't really understand entirely what it is. There's a lot of theories that go along around it, but there's a real, to me, a sadness with what's happened in our society today with so many fathers. Absent. Abusive. Not stepping up to the mark where they should be stepping up to the mark. And one of the things I love about Scripture is when, when I, first, I, I, I first really committed my life to the Lord when I was 15 at a youth camp. And then I, I sort of went into a phase of my Christian life where I got carried away with the sort of the ethereal and the big ideas. And I, I loved all of that and getting into the, the deep theology and... But in more recent years, what I have loved more and more and seen more clearly in Scripture is that God actually cares about every moment of our lives. And He cares about the orphan. And He cares about dads. And He cares about families. And in Scripture, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture comes in Ephesians chapter 6 when it talks about what's called the household code. And it would be a mistake when we look at the household code when he gives instructions to husbands and wives and fathers and children and uh, bosses and employees or slaves. It would be a mistake if we were to read those passages in isolation without realising that they are a response to everything that comes first in Ephesians chapters 1 to 4. And if you have time through this week, I'd encourage you to read that because it talks about the glory of the gospel and all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But once we start to understand what Jesus has done for us, what, what, what love God has for us, that it has to impact every area of our lives. If, if it doesn't impact every area of our life, we haven't really understood the cross. Because Jesus, when he died and rose again, he didn't just die and rose again to redeem our souls. He redeems us. He redeems us as dads. He redeems us as kids. He redeems us as mums. He redeems us as workers. Every area of our life is affected by the gospel. And so often when we come to passages like we're going to look at today, for many of us, we, we feel a sense of guilt and a weight that, oh, here's another instruction. Ugh. I already feel guilty as a dad that I'm not good enough and, and, and I make mistakes. And you have that moment when you have your kids say something back to you and you realise the only reason they're saying it is because I say it to them. And Oh, there it is. And what I want you to know when, I, when we get into this today, because it is a bit heavy today, is that this is not a guilt trip. I don't believe God is into guilt trips. What this is, is an understanding that what we're going to talk about today is a response to what God has already done. 
So if you're not yet a believer, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, understand that this isn't one of those things where if you do what I say you're going, what I say you should do today, what I should do, that somehow that's going to earn you favour with God. You cannot earn favour with God. You don't have to earn favour with God because God has already sent His Son to die on a cross so that you can be His child. And so what we're talking about today is in response to that. And I find for me, particularly as a dad, I, I often feel very inadequate as a dad. I just, you know, I, I think, oh man, I just make mistake after mistake. And it starts with this, and it's such a relieving thing when I realise that everything I do as a dad to my kids is in response to a God who loves my kids more than I do. He loves them. And he loves me. And for you today, if you hear, well, okay, they're going to talk, Mark's going to talk about fatherhood. Well, I'm a mum or I'm a, I don't have kids or whatever. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Because what we're going to talk about today is about the community of church and how we can raise a generation to also respond to the love of Jesus. And God loves people. So we're just going to look at one verse today from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, that talks to dads. But I think it could talk to anyone who has any sense of um, responsibility for a child. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And before we get into that, we need to understand the context of this. Like I said, that it's in response to the gospel, but it's also an outworking of what comes a little bit earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And everything that follows that, this one verse in chapter 5, verse 21, is an outworking of it. And Ephesians 5, verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Christian community is one of mutual submission, where we are constantly putting other people ahead of our own agenda. And so often in our, the church world in the past, what's happened is when we've talked about dads and husbands and men in the home, we've talked about headship. And I do believe that biblical headship is a biblical um, concept. But what's happened is it's been manipulated where headship has come to mean power and dominance. But if you look in the, in the passage that we're going to uh, give a bit more context to, when it talks about headship, and I believe dads and, and husbands should have headship in the home, but it doesn't mean power and I am the head of the home. If that idea of headship is said with a clenched fist, you've misunderstood what headship means. What headship means comes in chapter 5, verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What does headship mean? It's not about power. It's about taking responsibility. It's about sacrifice. How did Jesus show his headship of the church? He went to the cross for her. Dads, parents... Those who are responsible for a child? How do we show our headship? We take responsibility unto God for them. We look at them and we say we want them to grow into the knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus. It's about sacrifice. 
And I find this such a difficult concept to understand when it comes to kids. How do I submit to my children? Because surely it can't mean doing everything they say because if I did that, I would go broke. I would buy so many Cadbury blocks of chocolate, I would literally go broke if I did everything they said. What it means is, in my estimation, in the way I act, in my priorities, Catherine as my wife and my children come ahead of me. And when we start to understand that, when we start to get that this is the context, then when he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, it starts to make sense. And there's three things here that I really want us to get. The first bit, do not exasperate your children. It's a, it's a really difficult uh, little sentence in the original Greek to translate. And different ones have had a go at translating it. But if you were to try and translate it literally, what it really means is, do not anger your children to anger. In other words, don't get angry in a way at your child that makes them angry. In other words, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So often we look at our kids and we ask, why do they act like that? And well, really what we should be asking is, what have I done to make them think that's appropriate? How have I modelled it to them? And we've seen time and time and time again in society that angry people tend to have angry kids. Because it's modelled as normal. And I think really what Paul is saying here is it's not about exasperating your kids and... uh, it's about how do you model how do you model life to them don't anger them to anger them. Uh, john piper puts it this way fathers cause their children's souls to shrivel into small hard angry shells mainly by being like that themselves we model it and i can remember like we do this all the time as parents right like i can remember when i was a kid I would come to the door and I'd knock on the door. Mum and I would come home from the shops and I'd have arms full of groceries. And when I knocked on the door, my dad would always do this thing where he would open the door and go, none today, ha, 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 and shut the door again. And he think that was really funny. And I never thought it was funny. And I thought, why does he laugh when he does that? Because no one thinks that funny except him. Until just recently when one of my kids came to the door and I opened the door and what did I say? Ha, ha none today. And I had that moment, oh. I just did it. I don't know anyone that hasn't had that moment. When you think back to your childhood and your parents did something you used to think at the time, why do they do that? And you find yourself doing it. And what, like one of my phrases that I say all the time is, you're kidding, Sturlo, which comes from a rug- the rugby league world. It's something to have your five-year-old daughter look at you one day and go, you're kidding, Sturlo. And she doesn't even know who Sturlo is. We model it to our children, right? And I think Paul is telling us here, instead of looking at our kids and saying, why do you act the way you act? What we should be asking ourselves is, what am I modelling to them? And particularly for dads, I think one of the words we need to learn to say and one of the most profound words we can learn to say is a very simple one. Sorry. Men in Australian society do not say sorry. 
It's like this ridiculous sign of weakness. I don't know where that comes from. But when we say sorry to our children, we're teaching them two things. One, we actually believe in the concept of repentance. We're modelling repentance. And we're modelling to them forgiveness. Because we're asking them to forgive us. And maybe I'm just disclosing a bunch about myself this morning, but I find it really hard to say sorry to my kids. There's a little part of me that kind of says a dad doesn't have to be sorry to their kids. But I wonder what it would do if we learnt to say sorry. The second thing he says is this. Instead, bring them up. And you think, okay, so what? But this is where it's really helpful to know a little bit of context and a little bit of culture. In Greek and Roman society, dads didn't bring up their own kids. The the Roman and Greek families had what was called a pedagogue. And a pedagogue was the trainer of a child. And so with my kids, I wouldn't bring them up. I'd get the pedagogue to bring them up. And in, in ancient times, if you see it, ancient pottery, whenever these pedagogues are portrayed on the old pots and stuff like that, they're always portrayed with a big stick because it was their job to discipline the child and it was their job. And if, if they weren't doing a good job of the kids, it wasn't the kids that got it in the neck, it was the pedagogue because it was usually a slave. And there's a really profound moment when you understand that the context of those days was that you out, basically outsourced the raising of your children that Paul is saying to dads here, you raise your children. You bring them up. And we again live in a society that we are continually saying to school teachers, you do the job of disciplining my child. We, We say effectively to devices, you entertain my children, please. We live in a society of absence. And I think what Paul is saying is you be present. Be with them. One of my daughters is just a massive cuddler. And I'm not a big cuddler. Like some of you know who have come to give me a cuddle. Sorry about that. I'm not a big cuddler. But when she comes to give me a cuddle... Just about the worst thing I could do that will destroy her heart is to say those two, three words. I'm too busy. We live in a society where our children need people to be present. Society really hasn't changed very much, has it? That's what it was like back then and it's still the same now. And yet Paul is saying to us, be present. Be present with them. And one of the things I love about our church is that the way kids are welcomed here. And yes, I know sometimes kids are noisy and they're noisy in church. But you know what? God put the wriggle in them. Who are we to take it out? And I would rather have a noisy kid in church who feels welcome and loved than a silent kid who's told, be outside. And many years ago, we had a a lady come to our church. We were still down in the hall down here, so that gives you a bit of a dating because we moved in here in 2011. We had these kids, I think probably my kids, were sitting behind her making quite a lot of noise and she kept giving them these death stares. 
And so I got up after, uh, when it was my turn to get up and I said, let's just have a round of applause for the kids. And she didn't come back. And I'm okay with that. Because we want kids in this church to know you are loved. You are welcome. When those signs say every person is important to God, that means you too. Everyone is welcome and let's be present with one another when we're having those conversations at morning tea when we're talking to someone let's do that thing where you know you actually look at each other eye to eye because that's how i think in our society in, in our society that is dominated by friendship being a term that's used on facebook when being present with another person and stopping Because it says in Scripture that that's what the Holy Spirit does with us, isn't it? He comes alongside. That's church. But he says, you bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There are so many things we can want for our kids. There are so many things we can want to teach them. I mean, I would love for one of my kids to be a Wimbledon champion. If they are, they're not going to get that gene from me. I want them to do well in life. I want them to be successful. I do. I want them to to have a, a fulfilling life. But the most important thing I can give them is the training and instruction of the Lord. Nothing else really matters beside that. It doesn't matter if our, our kids are great at everything else um, if they don't know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And once again, what he says there is not, he doesn't say, go and tell them. Go and yell at them. Go and speak at them. He says, train them. And that means showing. My old man is an electrician and he tells me that when he started, uh, Dad started being an electrician when you were 14, right, Dad? Dad's here today. And uh, so what year was that that you started being a sparky? Yeah, 18 what? Oh, sorry. That doesn't show respect to my father. But Dad tells me that when he was first a Sparky, he worked on commercial jobs. And there were only like four or five electricians in Brisbane, because it was a pretty small place, that really could do that level of work, right? And he could go into a job site and see the work that had been done. And he could tell by how the work was done who had been the training electrician, the tradesman who had taught that apprentice by looking at how they did their work. Now, I think that's a model for discipleship. Discipleship is less about telling and more about showing. Showing our kids, showing others what a life that is founded on Jesus Christ looks like. Some of you will know I went to a seminar over in London a few months ago and there were 60 people in the room And we were all asked, who was the most influential person or influential people in your journey of discipleship in following Jesus? And out of the 60 people that were there, every one of us, I think bar one, the person they nominated was a close relative or friend in the church. Not the author of a book, not a YouTube video, but someone who was close. See, I think what we see in this passage is that God gives us the model for how we pass on our faith, isn't it? 
There's no surprise that most people who are Christians have grown up in a Christian home because God knows that the home is where discipleship begins. And you may have grown up in a home where discipleship was modelled poorly. You may have grown up in a place of abuse and I am genuinely sorry for that if that's your story. But hear me today when I tell you that you have a heavenly father who loves you and pours into your life by his Holy Spirit and says, now pass this on to the next generation. When we come together like this for church, when we go into our life groups and we're doing ministry around the place together, what we should be thinking about is not just what I'm doing in this moment, but how this moment will affect the next generation and the generation after that. I could not believe it when uh, Sally told me a couple of weeks ago, I've asked your daughter Chloe to do the talk at KidZone. And on Monday I said to her, how are you going with your talk for KidZone, Dale? And she said exactly what I would say if someone asked me. Yeah, I'm right on top of it. (laughs) Do you want a hand with it, sweetie? No, I'm good. And every answer she gave, I could hear me. And then I said to her, I mean, Sally's given her an easy topic, right? Old Testament sacrifice. (laughs) What does that mean for you, darling? And she said to me, it's what you and mum have taught me, that Jesus died for me so I can have life. And it wasn't just the second part that got my heart. It was the first part. It's what you and mum have taught me. What we do here matters. What we do with the next generation in our home matters. What we do after church when we're gathering out there for morning tea and there's little eyes watching how we interact with each other, that matters. It takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a church to change a generation. Let's be the ones who leave a new legacy for our kids. One of my best friends at university was a guy named Dion, and he struggled with the idea of faith. He wasn't a Christian, and he one time came to our church, and he got to know the, the few different families. And I can remember the night I... I got to lead him to the Lord sitting on our couch at mum and dad's place. And the next day when I caught up with him at uni, I said, mate, what made you decide, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus? What was the thing? And I was expecting him to say, that great little talk you gave me, Mark. That great little diagram you drew that just explained the gospel to me so clearly. Like, come on, let's have it. What did I do that was so good, Dion? And he said, what made me cross the line? was seeing the families in the church and how they lived differently to what I grew up with. And that's why he gave his life to Jesus. Let's set a new legacy for the next generation. Heavenly Father, thank you that you call us to be close, that you call us to teach how to say sorry that you call us to model it. Thank you that you love us. 
Thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And we pray, Father, that we know we're fallen. We know we make mistakes. We know we get it wrong from time to time pretty regularly. But thank you that you love our kids even more than we do. And we pray for this generation of children in our church that they will all come to know the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would raise up a generation that, as we so often sing, will stand to take their place. Who will see in us something that is different to what the world offers. And even if they say, oh, mum and dad made lots of mistakes, but boy, I could see Jesus in their lives. We pray against the, uh, the taunts of the evil one who wants to tell us we're failures. And we stand on the truth that the Holy Spirit speaks into our lives and through us into the lives of our children. And we pray for a generation to be raised up in this church who will know and love the Lord Jesus, who will tell others of the love of the Lord Jesus. And we will see revival come to this community. And we pray all that in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to stand, uh, we're going to sing Great Are You, Lord.